as a as a leader or manager, I used to find what I would call difficult conversations very difficult. Mm. Yes. So where you're giving negative feedback, I used to find it really tough. I would actually like find it emotionally challenging or it would drain a lot of energy from me. I'd get kind of stressed out beforehand. And to be honest, I probably did quite a bad job of it because um, I was worried about how it would make the other person feel to yeah. be kind of receiving these messages. And um, actually, I have a coach and, and he gave me some excellent advice on this, which is I actually no longer think about them as difficult conversations, kind of mentally reframe them as direct conversations. Mm -hmm. And um, I, it's not for me to worry about how the other person is going to feel. What I've got to do is focus on doing my job in, in that conversation, which is delivering the message. Mm -hmm. And actually how they react, how the other person feels about them, that's that's for them to decide. And I can't control that. What's really what, what I can control and what's really important is to give the clear message so that they receive that feedback. Because we all, you know, we all want to improve. And if you if you believe that, then if there's you know things that you need to improve on, you need to be told about them. And so um, so my job is to you know, give that clear message and, and then it's up to that person to sort of take that and, and do with it what they will. And then if they're willing to sort of do something constructive and positive with it, then you can support them through uh, through doing that as well. So that's for me uh, uh, been a big learning over, over time and, and um, that kind of reframing of difficult conversations to direct conversations and, and kind of letting go of the emotional connection to how someone's going to feel about hearing those things, but, um, but just taking on the responsibility for delivering a clear message. Hi folks, Matthew Ellis here, founder and CEO at Seed. Super excited to introduce today's guest on scaling so far. We've heard insights and perspective on scaling orgs from founders, heads of talent, people directors, um, but a chief operating officer? Not yet. Um, until today, that is. <laughs> so big welcome to, to Martin Threckel, COO of Open Banking Fintech Yapoli. Um, we're going to jump straight in. Martin, how's everything going for you? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Very good. Spring is springing outdoors, so uh, definitely uh, definitely enjoying that. It makes such a difference, doesn't it? I was saying to somebody internally the other day that I, uh, I saw a butterfly, a bumblebee and some sunshine, and <laughs> there was just a huge, huge lift in everything. Brilliant. So Martin, to kick things off, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your story so far? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm a, a, an engineer by background. I studied civil engineering uh, in London, um, but over the course of my uh, degree, decided not to go into that industry. wasn't sure what I did want to do, so I uh, took the well-trodden path of moving into consulting. Um, spent a few years at, at Deloitte on the on, on the grad scheme there, doing operations consulting, so large project management, systems implementations, that kind of thing. Um, moved from there into a smaller strategy consultancy to get some strategic uh, experience, but realised really over time that actually I wanted to be in a different kind of organisation, a different size and scale of organisation, um, and so moved into uh, moved into startups. And so I joined a, a startup business uh, around ten people, happened to be in the payment space, and essentially that's where I've been for the last sort of ten or so uh, ten or so years. And what's now called fintech wasn't <laughs> it wasn't a thing at the time um and uh, within that predominantly in the in the payments space in in uh, startups and, and scale-ups so been in a few businesses uh, over that time mainly in operations leadership roles um being a co-founder of a business growing it from scratch over over a few years and um i've uh, yeah recently joined yapoli awesome 
So let's let's talk about that. So now COO of Yapoli, um, can you tell me and the listeners a little bit more about the company's um, vision and purpose? Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned, we're a fintech business in, in the open banking space. For listeners who might not be familiar with open banking, I'll just give us a couple of sentences on that. Essentially, over the last few years in UK and Europe in particular, regulations have changed to force banks to open up their systems so that customers, that the bank's customers can grant third parties access to their transaction data and also enable third parties to initiate payments out of their accounts without having to use a card. Um, and so it's been a, a huge revolution, which is enabling lots of great innovation, lots of new products and services for consumers and, and businesses. And in fact, globally, many other countries are now sort of following that, that, that trend. So Yapli exists to enable uh, companies to build fairer and better financial services for everyone through the power of open banking. So we sort of uh, consider ourselves a, an invisible backbone for, for open banking. So we power our customers, people like Amex, people like Intuit QuickBooks, GoCardless, to, to uh, these kind of industry-leading brands to enable them to build open banking products for their, for their customers and make it really easy for them to connect into open banking and, and, uh, and access that capability. Awesome. Thank you very much for that explanation. Um, so as I mentioned, we've spoken to many heads of talent, people directors, uh, CEOs uh, on previous um, episodes. We'd be really keen to understand sort of where your role as COO sits in the organization and helps it achieve its, um, its vision. And, and I realize that the role of, of COO can take many shapes and sizes. So yeah. definitely, definitely your, your perspective and your world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's an interesting one, Sierra. As you say, it, it, it does have many different shapes and sizes in different organisations. Um, and, you know, always it, it, it's a pretty varied role, um, from my experience. In terms of, of um, my specific role within Yapoli, so I kind of break it up into three chunks. I've got some uh, functions that I own, if you like. So I own the, the, the business operations, so things like people and talent, along with you know, legal, finance, these kind of, uh, these kind of areas. Um, service operations, so things like customer support and some other things that are specific to our particular uh, business and, and services we provide. And then a third part of my remit is really making sure that organization as a whole is working uh, working well, making sure it's functioning well, making sure it's coordinated, etc. So, you know, obviously a, a rapidly growing business um, raised uh, Series A funding last year. And so there's a, there's a lot of growth across the business, a lot of different activities, a lot of development. So it's trying to make sure all of that's coordinated and you know, people know what's going on and, and how it all ties together. Yeah, I think that's a massive part of a. I've always been fascinated by the COO role, like it is a sort of operational octopus <laughs> in some regards. <laughs> and yeah, kind of having that overall visibility of, of business performance and making sure that everything's sort of uh, pulling in the right direction. So good stuff. Thank you for that. And you joined back in November 2020. Um, and since then, Yapoli has launched hubs in Germany and Lithuania, I believe. Um, and you've made it into Otter's Rocket List uh, 2021. Um, so super exciting, first of all. Um, but what's your journey at Yapoli been like so far? Um, I mean, it seems like a lot has happened in that, that very short space of time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, startup life is pretty busy. And uh, to be honest, that's partly what I, I love about it. Um, I love being able to look back at the end of the day or the week or the month and you can see how the business has 
has moved forward and, and, and how you've contributed to that. So that's something that I've always always loved about, about startups. For, for me personally, it, you know, there's obviously been getting to know the business, getting to know the people uh, in, in this virtual world where you're meeting everyone through a, through a screen um, and, uh, you know, getting to grips with my remit. So there wasn't a, a COO before. So um, it was kind of working out the, the shape and size of, uh, of that role. And, and much of that involved forming a good partnership with the CEO mm. and, um, and and making sure we work well together and, and working out where we each focus within uh, within the business. Um, I kind of, uh, I, th I think of growing a business as, you know, you're growing a, a complex system or organisation and um, it's got lots of bits to it. There's lots of things going on and you've got to try and move them all forward in, in unison in a sort of coordinated way. Mm. Uh, and But because this is the real world, that's actually impossible to, <laughs> to achieve. Um, you, you're faced with reality, unfortunately. So um, at any point in time, there's always some bits of the business that are maybe lagging a bit for, versus others and, and versus the rest of the pack. So what I tend to try and do myself is um, sort of make sure that, that me and the rest of the, the leaders across the, the business have an understanding as to what the whole picture looks like, what's going well and, and, and where the challenges are. And then, you know, apply my time in particular or, or other people's time to um, to sort of making sure the bits that are lagging a bit are, are, are caught up. And, and ideally you want to be able to see which bits are going to be lagging in a month or six months time as opposed to always reacting to what's happening now so you can uh, so you can kind of get ahead of things so so that's that's i guess how i've been how i tend to spend my time is making sure you've got that that visibility across the piece and, and working out where focus needs to be applied yeah that's great and really interesting perspective and i'm very honest this is my first time ceo um, position and have learned very quickly the the codependencies i guess um on, across function um particularly if we're all driving towards the, the same mission and vision. And like you say, some are ahead, some are behind and trying to make sure that from a leadership perspective, you can um, support um, or ideally spot these things before. Exactly. <laughs> beforehand. Yeah. Exactly. Perfect. Thank you for that. So Wex Europe, Currency Cloud, Modular, Yappily, you know, as you mentioned before, over a decade um, in, you know, building FinTech as they're called now um start up and scale up teams across europe one thing that we ask everybody um is you know what have been some of your biggest learnings um over that period especially when it comes to the talent or, or people practices or function mm. so i think there's probably probably two for me one one is a sort of general one and then one a, a personal one that i've sort of worked on and, and developed i think the the general one first is, and, and sort of a, probably a common one, is that the importance of being open and, and being human in, in, in your interactions with people, being willing to engage, listen to people, also showing that you're only human too. And, uh, and, and you know, I've, been, I've actually been listening to a really good uh, audio book related to this called The Culture Code. And it okay. talks about principles of, of safety, principles of, of being willing to show vulnerability and then um, having everyone aligned around a purpose. And um, I think that those really sort of ring true for me as, as to, you know, we all 
we you know we all come to work and 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 we're trying to do our best and and we want to be part of something and we want to feel that we're achieving things but we've got all this other stuff going uh, going on as well and um and so you know recognizing that and being willing to just sort of talk to people on a kind of human level and understand what's going on and and how to help them achieve what they want to be achieving in the context of, of the organization so um so yeah that's a, a big one for me is being willing to have those kind of those kind of conversations with uh, with people and i think especially in startups and scale-ups where you really you, you do form strong connections with people you're, you're part of a relatively small team especially in the, in the earlier days um and so and people want to feel that connection to the business so i, I think that's really important excellent and just to 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 pull that out you mentioned you listen to the culture code um, yeah and on, on what platforms is that is that a uh, that will. Uh, uh, I'm probably going to have to. Go. <laughs> oh, that's all right. I'm basically asking for myself because I think that sounds no, fantastic. Can, I'll have a look. Uh, <laughs> we can take it. I, I'm listening to it on Audible. Audible, uh, perfect, uh, excellent. Yeah, I'm listening to it on Audible. No, and I think there's, um, and you're going to jump onto your second point, but like I completely agree, and, and we have conversations internally that in in senior leadership teams, the majority of your time is spent solving or pre preventing problems right yeah um, so yeah. you're kind of in this this problem space and sort of being able to create the environment where this is okay this is normal how do exactly. we think about this how do we solve this together you know is is, is super important a hundred percent a hundred percent yeah totally agree with that and people being you know willing to you know talk about that and recognize that it's not a blame environment mm. actually it's all about to kind of what you were saying before everyone's aligned behind uh, achieving a joint objectives and it's all it's all about how we will get there together um, and um, and being willing to sort of face into the challenges that are involved in getting there is, is really important so yeah i think that's important for me and 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 the other one on, on a personal level is um is actually about feedback and and the importance of feedback for all of us in our in our sort of journeys in, in our development and as a as a leader or manager, I used to find what I would call difficult conversations very difficult. Yes, mm. so where you're giving negative feedback, I used to find it really tough. I would actually like find it emotionally challenging or mm. drain a lot of energy from me. I'd get kind of stressed out beforehand, and to be honest, I probably did quite a bad job of it because um, I was worried about how it would make the other person feel to yeah. be kind of receiving these messages. And um, actually, I have a coach, and, and he gave me some excellent advice on this, which is I actually no longer think about them as difficult conversations, kind of mentally reframe them as direct conversations. Mm -hmm. And um, I, it's not for me to worry about how the other person is going to feel. What I've got to do is focus on doing my job in, in that conversation, which is delivering the message. Mm -hmm. And actually, how they react, how the other person feels about them—that's that's for them to decide. And I can't control that. What's really what, what I can control, and what's really important, is to give the clear message so that they receive that feedback. Because we all, you know, we all want to improve. And if you if you believe that, then if there's you know things that you need to improve on, you need to be told about them. And so, um, so my job is to you know give that clear message, and and then it's up to that person to sort of take that and and do with it what they will. And then if they're willing to sort of do something constructive and positive with it, then you can support them through uh, through doing that as well. So that's for me uh, uh, been a big learning over time and, and um, that kind of reframing of difficult conversations to direct conversations and, and kind of letting go of the emotional connection to how someone's going to feel about hearing those things, but, um, but just taking on the responsibility for delivering a clear message. I like that. And I can see how that really works as a mental shift, right? Because you're you're being responsible for the part of the conversation you can be responsible for 
-hmm. and not trying to control the bit of the conversation that you can't right and that's just a super important narrative in in the world of business anyway right you know if you can control it control it if you can't don't worry about it and move on to the next thing cool and you mentioned as well that you know part of your responsibility and often responsibility of of the COO is that kind of people and and talent organization um conversations that that we have you know with organizations from pre-seed all the way through to you know post IPO um, is the timing of of building talent as a function or a product of the organization and I'd love to get your perspective um, on is there such time as too early there's definitely such time as too late you know how do you as a COO balance that juncture particularly let's focus early stage right you know we're in the early stage organization we've hired all of our friends that we want to be part of this organization yeah we're now in that situation where okay we're tapped out our leadership team is spending a lot of time doing recruitment yeah don't have any tool systems and process it's sort of becoming a bottleneck for our organization yeah 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 so so i think there's probably a couple of factors that that influence when is the right time or or, or when it when might be too early or too late i think one of those depends a bit on the business that you're building and and the type of people that you're that you're bringing in especially in in the early days so um are are they you know what functions are you filling and and what kind of level of experience people are are you bringing in are they very experienced or or, or a lot of uh, people who are earlier in their career and and therefore to what extent are they likely to need to come support from a um from a people uh, sort of perspective and then i think the other factor as well is um to what extent is this uh a strong suit and a focus and a passion area if you like of the of the founders mm. um and i think the more that it is then the more you can probably leave it a bit later before making it a formal stru- uh, a formal function mm. um whereas if this is not a thing that the you know the founder ceo is uh, is focused on themselves then you probably need to bring in that support earlier to uh, to, to start um bringing in the, the right kind of approaches and structures so yeah. you know no, no hard and fast rule for for every business I would say that you know when you start getting to 40, 50 uh, people, certainly by that stage you're start you're starting to have you know people <laughs> kind of people uh, challenges that you might want uh, might want some some level of focus on. You've probably got quite a lot of recruitment going on that, that you uh, that, that you need some proper structure around. But maybe by the time you get there, so kind of 30, 40 people and. Um, uh, you know, obviously, it depends a bit on how fast you're getting to um, to, to that kind of stage. So those, those are some some of the factors, but it's probably one of those things where, it, you know, in that between thirty and sixty range, depending on some of those factors, is where you hit that tipping point. As with many other tipping points, it's also probably the stage where you in terms of the people that you're hiring in the very early days that you know your first 10 20 people they're, they're there to be part of something very uh very new very different whereas when people are joining sort of 50 60 person organization it's a bit more of a thing it's a bit more of a, a business established business to some extent and so you will tend to attract people who expect a bit more of that kind of structure to be uh, to be coming with it so so that i think also plays into it as well yeah, I can definitely relate to those points. And I guess as, as founders, as you know, we have to ask ourselves the question in terms of sort of capacity and capability, right? You know, in terms of, of bringing in people around us and people that can do the job better than we can. Um, yeah. yeah. And absolutely, I, I, I can pinpoint times in our organization where it's gone, okay, cool, we're, we're just this startup. We have no expectations around processes and people practices. And then 
you do get to a point as an organization where the business does expect you reach a level of success under whichever brackets you have and maturity and people are like cool let's start talking about benefits let's start talking about roles levels and progression let's start talking about all of this type of stuff so no that's great thank you for that and i guess again calling on that um you know deep experience you have in in startup land uh, is there anything that you think should be avoided any yep. traps that you see people kind of falling into consistently or or myths you think that should be busted when it comes yeah. to yeah. building and leading teams yeah, yeah absolutely so strong, I, I strong think, yes on that one <laughs> yeah. i've talked from personal experience of something that i've got wrong and um on the point of vulnerability um so i think so one thing that I, i've I tried previously, but but and I thought would be a fantastic idea was going to work really well, and just didn't really work at all, and it surprised me quite a bit. Was um, taking a, a sort of disparate group of high-performing individuals from across the business and pulling them into together into a kind of virtual team on top of their their day job. Mm-hmm. So I say disparate group because they were people from from different functions across the business, putting them together in, into a sort of virtual team to try and get them to just pick up and solve challenges that were going on across the business. And a bit to your point around capacity of you know, founders and, and leadership team, it was you know, for some of those things that we knew were challenges in the business, but the leadership team didn't have capacity to focus on and there, there wasn't a clear kind of functional owner. Uh, and, so. and conceptually, this sounds like a brilliant idea, right? Like the best brilliant minds all coming together to solve problems. Yeah, but exactly. Just give us the butt. <laughs> We've nailed it. We've nailed it is what I thought. <laughs> but then but then what happened is it, it just well it just didn't it didn't work. And and despite everyone in that group being really strong individuals, they they didn't self-organize to actually be effective in, in what you know what I thought I was asking them to do. And as I kind of thought about it afterwards, and I think what was missing was that clarity of purpose. Like in, in their individual roles, it was very clear where they fitted within the organization, what their objective was, how that lined up to, to the company's overall objective and contributed to it, and, and therefore, you know, what, how, what they should be doing, how they should be going about it. In, in this kind of virtual team that they were pulled into, they were, you know, they were like, well, how much time do I spend on this versus, uh, versus my sort of day job, if you like, mm-hmm. uh, and, and what's my role in this versus, you know, this person's role or that person's role, and, and there was, you know, no hierarchy or anything like that. Right? I kind of, I think, probably didn't give enough guide rails is, is mm. my reflection afterwards. I didn't didn't give enough clarity of what the purpose of this group is and how, how it should work. And so even though they were all you know, fantastically um, uh, talented individuals, uh, just without that context and clarity of how this fitted with what, what else they were doing, um, it, it just didn't work out. And you know, I was kind of left scratching my head weeks and months later as to why nothing was coming out of this, uh, of this team. So it's, it's definitely, helped me realize the importance of sort of clarity of context, clarity of, of guidance uh, around those things and not to expect people um, just to be able to sort of come up with that themselves if they're, if they're not given any direction on it. Yeah, you and I both on this one, I'm, I'm guilty of even sometimes to this day and I have to correct myself of thinking, okay, I'll give a broad task to a group of super smart people and the exciting thing is to see what they come up with um that's not always the best possible use of people's time <laughs> particularly if i have an idea in my head of what it needs to be exactly. and to kind of give some uh, some framework and i think if if um if other leaders are very honest with themselves i think we've all fallen into that trap or, or even still do fall into that trap so 
thank you very much for sharing that one and being so open. Um, so on the on the scale and the expansion um, vibe, you know, some really exciting things that have happened already um, for Yapoli with uh, Lithuania and Germany um, that we mentioned, um, and I'm sure lots and lots of other exciting plans um, ahead. I'd love to hear a bit more about the planning that goes into something like launching in new, new, new territories mm. or, or new countries, um, particularly from an ops and even a, a people and headcount perspective. Lots of the, the people that listen in and the people that, that we talk to from a client perspective are, are looking to do this, you know, either enter new markets from a product perspective or and or launch new engineering centers or, or business operations in new, new company, uh, countries rather. So where do you even start on something like this and, and where do you prioritize? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it, it's interesting, especially in this sort of new world, where you can question whether it really matters where people are anymore. I could, I could be sort of talking to you from anywhere right now. And so to, to some extent, you kind of think, well, does that geographic element actually matter? But I, I, my personal view is that it, it still does to some degree in our sort of connection to the real world and the cultural linkage with that and things like that is um, it, it's still pretty important, even if we spend a lot less time together. Uh, than than we used to, you know, a year or so ago. So, um, so yeah, definitely some different uh, different things to think about in this. Uh, one one element of it is being really clear on what you're looking to achieve in that market. So, as, as you mentioned, you know, launching a product in, or, or a service into a um, into a country very different from setting up uh, operationally there. So, being being clear on that, and you know, if it's a, a product or service, then obviously there's the elements of understanding what your local go-to-market's got to look like how do you fit in in that space what are the competitors what do you need to do to sort of localize your products and services that might be from a language perspective or um or, or, or might be some others so um uh, and, and certainly you know talking from my experience in, in the payments market payments markets is one of the things i find really interesting actually is that they're very different in different countries you kind of mm. we all go about our lives and unless you've got experience of living in different countries, you might just assume that things work, you know, people use debit cards and credit cards and bank transfers and things like that in the same way everywhere, but actually they don't. And so that's, uh, that, that's really interesting. So understanding you know, how your product fits into the local market, obviously, obviously critical. If you're going down the path of, of building a team, there's obviously, um, you know, many of the practical elements of, you know, the local labour laws and, 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 and all those kind of things, which are relatively um, sort of simple to, to work out, even if they're a bit complex in themselves, mm. but they're, they're kind of obvious things. I think the, the thing, that's, um, thing that's been most interesting to me is understanding how you're actually going to attract people and mm. what the deal is. And, and again, it's like, how do, you, how do you fit in that market? So if you take the same kind of approach and thinking as you would to how you're launching a product but you think from a from an employer proposition perspective how am i going to attract not customers but but applicants and, and people to come and work uh, work for me and and whilst you might have quite a big presence or awareness in in your home market as, as an employer and you know from all the marketing you do and events that you attend and all those kind of things when you appear in a new country people may well be like, oh, you know, it's just another tech company who's trying to hire developers <laughs> or, or what have <laughs> yep. you, they've got no idea who you are, et cetera. And, and also, 
you know, go back to some of what we were talking about, um, especially in startups and scale ups of, of when you bring in the sort of people function and, and when you focus on benefits, actually the benefits that are important in different countries and how you build that employee proposition is, is quite different. Yeah. Um, or certainly can be quite different between one place and another. So it's definitely important not to um, not to ignore that or, or not to miss that and not to think, oh, we'll just, you know, start advertising, start headhunting and, and, and we'll attract people there. But um, but you've got to put a bit of thought into understanding what the local market looks like and what's appealing to people. And, you know, some of this stuff just takes time in terms of building a, a, a local presence in the market, building a, an employee proposition, you know, being members of relevant trade associations or what have you attending events um all that kind of thing is is necessary to build that that local presence and start attracting people so yeah it's, you, you can accelerate these things as always by sort of piling more money into them mm -hmm. <laughs> and that depends on on your strategy and approach and and, and budget but um uh, but yeah some of them are, are difficult to shortcut to a kind of zero time frame they they do just take time and investment to uh, to, to to deliver yeah no thanks very much for that and i, I... I've seen this on a number of occasions, particularly in circumstances where organization does have strong consumer brand, mm -hmm. um, but that brand is not prevalent in, in new location. An assumption is, okay, we'll be able to hire, attract, and develop people at the same pace, and it's not always the reality. <laughs> cool, thanks again. Um, so as you move into the next kind of critical stages of, of growth at Yapoli, um, what's on your agenda operationally for the next six to 12 months? I'd imagine there's a massive focus on being able to drive quickly, um, but without braking, right? Um, Absolutely. And are there any kind of key pressure points that you take a read of to know where your time and efforts need to go in this sort of, uh, when, when you're driving so quickly? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I kind of think about these challenges as to, in the different stages of a business, what should what should we be optimizing for at this point uh, and at this point in, in the business's journey? So in, in the very early days, you're often sort of optimizing for flexibility because you're, you're still learning, you're trying to work out your product market fit, et cetera. And so, you know, in, 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 in the first year or maybe a couple of years, depending on the trajectory of your, your business, um, that might be where, where you optimize. And you don't really want to try and build very scalable processes because actually you're trying to you're trying to work out what that process mm. should be like, like what's the business actually going to sell what's it going to do so we're we're, we're sort of beyond that point and and uh, moving away from that we've got you know a good degree of clarity over what product and and services where it fits in the market how, how we want to grow and so for me it's it's that switch more about consistency um we've got a big focus on quality within the business as, as part of our proposition as a kind of infrastructure provider we believe it's all about um all about providing great quality service that people can rely on and want to build their products on top of and so for to deliver a quality service you've got to have consistency in how you do things the way in which uh, you, you go about doing things and so you, you've kind of got to move away from some of those early stage habits and practices which are the right things in the early stage where you have like everyone chasing the ball and so you know there's a problem there's a thing let's all go after it and solve it and, and we kind of rose around together to a point where you've got more of an organizational structure and clarity is to okay when this thing happens it's this team that does it in that way and they might rely on your partner with that team and that team as well to do it but you've got more clarity around the, um, the, the ownership of things 
and then based on how often those things happen, what the parameters are around them, you know, okay, well, how many people do I need in that team or what tools do we need in it? And is it something that needs to be covered 24 seven or is it something that we do during the day, et cetera. So there's all of that thinking that, that comes into it. So for me, it's about bringing, bringing in more structure and, um, and making sure that we're delivering the service really, you know, really consistently now as we, uh, as we move much more into that sort of scale stage. Cool, thank you for that. And we've touched on a little bit of this previously, but as a key member of the leadership team, how do you, and someone who's kind of has this responsibility of making sure everyone's in, in the boat rowing in the same direction, um, how do you keep everybody focused on that kind of vision and purpose of the organization, especially when operating remotely, across distributed teams, naturally when things are happening quickly and evolving around them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, it, it's a really good question. And, and um, as you kind of touched on before, I'm, I'm really big on, on, on that all having one vision and, and knowing that you're all working towards that vision. And so it's really important. I think this is a really important factor in, uh, in, in the business and having that clarity and people understanding how they, how they line up to it is, is critical for, uh, for, for success. And so, yeah, but how do you do that? Um, well, setting it is the first thing. So, and, and that's uh, a lot uh, tougher than it, than, it, than it sounds. But, um, and this is, to me, this is part of the role of the, of the leadership team is being really clear on where are we going and what are the objectives, both in the sort of long, time, long term, your, your vision of where you want to get to over a number of years, and also in the shorter term of a, a kind of three to six months time window, mm. what does success look like? And, and then the, the sort of challenging thing within that is having it at a manageable number of things that people can, uh, can understand and, and can consume when they're not spending all day, every day, just looking at this, but actually they're, they're sort of maybe working on one of these, but you want them to have the context of, you know, five things or eight things or, or mm. something like that. Once you start getting much beyond that, there's just too many and it's just like, oh, there's just a lot of stuff and I'll just focus down on my individual thing. So, um, so yeah, leadership team setting it, it's difficult conversations. What are the priorities? Having those challenging conversations between one, one another as to what's really important. And, and that's an important process to go through and I think really, really valuable process to go through as a leadership team. And then communication of that. And you, it's one of those things that you almost can't communicate too much. I mean, mm. good if you talk about it in every single meeting. But, um, but, uh, but you know, talking about these kind of things weekly or fortnightly on, on you know, company stand-ups or whatever your relevant forums might be, which obviously might be different in today's world mm. to how they were before. Um, but, yeah, just bringing those things out all the time to remind people, especially, again, you know, in a, in a growing organization you've also got new people coming in all the time so repeating these things so that you're catching all the new joiners as well yeah. and um and, and reminding people and, and i think what's important as well is is not just saying what the objectives are but but being really clear about how you're performing against yes. them so that you know going to that, that that point of there's always some bit that's lagging behind somewhere it's good for people to understand that and know why you're focusing over there and and, and it's not because you know that bit's you know cooler or, or or your favorite bit or something like that is uh, it's to you know address these challenges and and if we're all trying to get there together then it's only fair that we will understand where the challenges and getting there are perfect and you touched on the kind of the tell them tell them tell them again uh type communication yeah. piece there okay. and i 
I can relate to that um, and something that, that we try to do as an organization on a, at least a monthly basis as well as yeah. everyone being aligned sort of daily in terms of what they're doing but are there any other than kind of spoken communication um, in company rituals are there any tools or systems that you use or methodologies let's say or practices that that you use to um, align people from a goals perspective and create transparency and visibility in terms of where people are against those goals yeah so um okrs is probably the the, the classic one that, that many yeah. people use and i've certainly uh, i've certainly used that I'd, I'd say um you know people often kind of sit on a spectrum in terms of okrs as to perhaps how dogmatic they are about yes. the, the sort of strict application of them i i haven't necessarily stuck always with the very strict application but you know something you know it's kind of midway on the, on the yeah. range and you kind of sticking with the essence of what's trying to be achieved but um i, I also for me there's an importance I, I think one of the important principles within grand business is, is having momentum mm. and you know sometimes it's better to say yeah you know you know the, the objectives that you set or the key, key results that you set they're not perfect but it's better that we just accept them as they are now and we use these for the next quarter and then we can iterate and evolve them next quarter as opposed to spending another two weeks kind of tweaking that wording or what have you so yeah okrs are a, are a key one in in terms of tools etc to be honest I've, I've often found kind of keeping it simple is the best so um you know communicating if you've got a clear presentation or something that communicates them and, and things like that um I, I think it's it can be quite easy to tie yourself up in knots trying to get you know um trying to you know embed them really deeply and using tools to do that and actually as long as everyone's clear on what the company wants are what their own wants are and they've got they know where they can find them and they're communicated clearly then to me that's the the, the key elements it's the essence yeah i agree uh, the, yeah we, we use okars as well and i think it's fair to say that we uh, have some adaptation um <laughs> to that to suit our business cool <laughs> So as we move into a few uh, closing questions now, Martin, um, what is, and we ask this question of everyone, it's a magic one question. Yeah. <laughs> um, what would you say is one challenge when it comes to building a business that if you could wave a magic wand, you'd love to be able to fix? Yeah, I, I'm going to cheat slightly and say two. <laughs> Go for it, that's good. <laughs> Maybe my first wave is to get to get two more. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, hiring, building a business is, is, is all about people and bringing on people and bringing on, you know, the people um, with the right skills, right experience, all that kind of thing um, at the right time is, if you achieve it, is, is fantastically helpful to your, to your business. So uh, hiring is definitely a key one. And then the other one for me is communication skills. Mm. Um, I find if people, the more you can have all of your team communicating really clearly with one another, then the less you have to uh, end up sort of dipping into things and making sure that different people have got the right context or understood yep. what's actually going on elsewhere. So having really good structures and, and people who communicate really well with one another and really clearly um, set context and all that kind of thing is, um, is super useful. So kind of upgrading everyone's communication skills um, would, would be the other one. It's an evolving evolving ask isn't it the, the yeah. whole communications thing yeah cool thank you for that is there anything that you are unapologetically passionate about uh something that you're maybe even obsessed with uh, that people might not know about uh it can be light-hearted or or indeed very serious if you wish <laughs> 
<laughs> so if you asked me about a month ago, uh, I probably would have said Married at First Sight Australia because me and my wife were binge watching it. And it's, <laughs> it's fair to say I was quite addicted to, uh, to, to that through the dark winter months. Um, but uh, the, the other thing I'd say, though, is, uh, is running actually is, probably, is, is my passion outside of, uh, outside of work. So I love being outdoors. I'm, I'm a, a keen distance runner, so I'm, I'm not very fast, but I like to, uh, to do, do sort of long distance events. So that's my, that's my outlet. I find it really helps me get balance and clear my head, etc. So yeah, getting out on the trails for a few hours is, is definitely my thing. And some parallels with the distance running and uh, your professional life as well. Yeah, right? most <laughs> it's a marathon. <laughs> cool. Thank you very much. And is there a thought or value or phrase that that you live by? Yeah, I think probably quite simple ones, but be nice and try your best. Uh, as simple as they sound, if you stick to them, I don't think you can go go too far too far wrong. And I think sometimes try your best people see as a bit of a cop out, like, mm. oh, you tried your best, but you didn't do it, but that's, a, that, that's okay. And actually, I, I see it slightly differently in, in that for me, try your best means being able to sort of look yourself in the mirror or, or look your teammate in the eyes and, and, and be like, I, we really tried our best here and there was nothing else we could have done. And we, you know, we, we really did everything we could. And, and, you know, so it's not just that, oh, you know, you tried your best, that's okay. But it's like, really knowing that actually you're okay with the outcome, whatever the outcome might be, because you really did give it your best shot and knowing that's with it in, inside, that's a, a key one for me. Brilliant, thanks again. So last question, um, is there a business leader, COO, founder or, or source of inspiration that you have, uh, someone that you admire or think has a kind of unique or impactful approach to scaling um, that perhaps we should even try and secure as a, a guest um, on our, our podcast. Yeah, so I, I mentioned uh, mentioned earlier, but um, my coach uh, who I've worked with for, for a few years uh, has actually got a strong background in uh, in, in people. So, a chap Colin Knight, he's a he's a um, startup uh, executive coach now, or executive coach for, for sort of startup founders, etc. And um, and has a really strong background in this. So I, I found his insights super helpful over the last few years. So he's, he's certainly someone that, um, yeah, that I look up to in that way. Cool, that's Colin Knight. Colin Knight, yeah. Brilliant, well, thank you very much for that. Martin, it's been brilliant speaking to you today. Um, many of the points that you raised have kind of really resonated with me and I can kind of uh, understand those, those deeply from personal experience, um, especially what you mentioned around you know, being able to reframe difficult conversations mm -hmm. and aligning sort of the planning in terms of what you're trying to achieve and understanding what you're trying to optimize for at uh, different phases mm -hmm. of, of company growth. So thank you so much for joining. Um, lots of learning for me and hopefully lots of learning for, for the audience. Um, we're very excited to follow your journey at Yapoli and I'm sure it's going to be an exciting and successful year ahead for you and uh, the rest of the team. Thank you very much and thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Our pleasure. Thank you.